Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. And we are here. We're still in the 560s. I am Bernie, and I am in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're in the 560s. We count forward from 1000 BC, one decade at a time. We are in the 560s with my co-host, Dan Horning, in Sweden. Yeah, and I expect at least seven episodes for the 560s. That's right. If you guys have any tests or studying to do in the 560s, we're your place. Lots of detail here. I want to take us back to 569. Okay. Because now we're going to talk about the Middle East. And there's one person more important than anybody else. And it's not Cyrus yet. Not yet. It's, of course, the king of Babylon, the pious prince, the favorite of the god Marduk, Mm -hmm. the exalted ruler who is the beloved of the god Naboo, (laughs) the one who deliberates and acquires wisdom, the one who constantly seeks out the ways of their divinity and reverse their dominion, the indefatigable Governor, <laughs> who is mindful of provisioning Esagil and Isida daily, and who constantly seeks out good things for Babylon and Borsippa. The wise and pious one who provides for Esagil and Isida, foremost heir of Nabopolassar, king of Babylon, am I. And I'm of course talking about this 73-year-old guy, Nebuchadnezzar II. Yeah. He's been with us forever. He has. He still has the he still has the, the captive Jews captive there. Oh yes. Sort of sounds like his um it sounds a lot like God becomes like more like he reads your mind and stuff how I don't know, there was Nebuchadnezzar and Nabopolassar were very uh, pious, like you said. 
Yeah, there's a big difference with the Assyrian king's titles. Because he just speaks about his reverence for the gods. Yeah. And how well he takes care of everybody and how wise he is. Not how dangerous he is or the four corners of the world, etc. That's all gone now. Yeah, yes. But he's on top of the world. And I want you to envision Babylon and the Neo-Babylonian Empire at this time. Because this is the apex, the height of Babylonian power after the fall of Assyria. And it's all downhill from here. Yeah. They were make Babylonia great again. Oh, they made Babylonia great again. But now Babylonia will be not so great after he's gone. But he's still there. And if you look at building inscriptions from this time, they, there are plenty of them, but they are very hard to date. Mm. And a lot of things in Nebuchadnezzar's reign are hard to date. Yeah, we lost all those, we lost the chronicles. But we can notice that there is intense activity in Babylon and in 12 other major cities. Okay. And it's all happening here in his reign. He's repairing the Euphrates River wall. He's repairing the harbors on the Euphrates. He's repairing all the temples, of course. And it's all like cedars from Lebanon. Mm. There is the brickwork. It's especially fancy during this time. Cedar doors. Things are decorated gold, silver, bronze, and ivory. And he makes a claim that his uh, predecessors are pleased. Oh. That... Uh, Everything is in order in Babylon. All the religious festivals are kept. Marduk comes out once a year. There are a lot of good mattresses. I knew I was going to say. <laughs> he got his bed back from the Assyrians and everything. You have the celebration. Babylon is great again. And of course, there is the claim about uh, hanging gardens. But mm. we know they were Sennacherib's gardens. Correct. That's our official fan of history position on the hanging gardens of Babylon. But it seems to be that Nebuchadnezzar was fascinated with hydraulics. Hmm. That he changed canals, he used water for defenses. There is now a double city wall around Babylon with water between. And he seems to be thinking about the Medes. Yeah. So there are defenses. We talked about the Median Wall last time. Yeah, there are other defenses popping up. He's like getting geared up for the final conflict with the Medes. But they're still his friends. Technically. Technically friends. They have other interests. I guess they're more uh, angry at uh, Croesus, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, He looks over the water supply for Sippar. He restores like a dozen temples. I won't go into all the detail for the temples. Yeah. There is also a debate if coinage now finally appears... In Babylon. We okay. talked about coins for some time. Yeah. About this time last year, we talked about them. We recorded. I was there with you in Sweden. Yes. <laughs> in the summer. I tried to go to that Viking restaurant, but uh, apparently you had to book a table a week in advance. Uh. But you and I just uh, walked in there and got a table. Yeah. Well, we were like Vikings. Uh, E-Types Viking restaurant in the old town of Stockholm. Highly recommended. We'll take $20 for that plug. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I'll, I'll take some mead for that plug. There you go. <laughs> There's a lot of foreign laborers in Babylon at this time. Oh. 
they're bringing in shipwrights from Tyre, of course, as the Phoenicians are the good sailors. There are woodworkers also from Phoenicia, from Byblos. And we have Egyptians building boathouses. Really? Yeah. And there would be like paid workers, right? They weren't slaves necessarily. No, they're, they're paid workers. Okay, right. And they had the Jews for workers too, the Judahites. Of course, but they are less uh, volunteering. Yeah, I see somewhere in Europe how, how many bricks they had. I know the Jews were probably making a lot of bricks. Yeah, that's true. Because the, just a little side, because the, um, the story of Exodus, they talk about making bricks a lot, but the point is it was probably written during this time. It was about this time that the Jews had to make all these bricks. Yeah, we talked about that, that yeah. the Pharaoh in Exodus is very much like Nebuchadnezzar. Correct. So there is a tradition that Nebuchadnezzar builds a harbor on the Persian Gulf. Oh. And the reason he would do that now is that um, the Egyptians are building a Red Sea Navy hmm. with, uh, of course, only Greeks. Oh, right, of course. Right, right. Because Egyptians, you don't want to have Egyptians on the sea. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> they are lousy sailors <laughs> compared to Greeks. They're okay on the river, but not on the sea. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the texts that come down to us, Nebuchadnezzar seems very much an efficient military leader and firm administrator. This even goes into the Bible, mm. that there is a lot of mentions of Nebuchadnezzar keeping everything in order mm -hmm. in Babylon, even in the Bible. Yeah, they may not like him, but the trains run on time. Yeah, and it seems that he has a collection of antiquities in one of his palaces. 
Oh, really? That he has sort of a museum there. He does. Oh, I didn't know. I knew yeah. later that I think Nabonidus does something like that, but that's interesting. So it seems that he's really keeping everything in order. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to Nebuchadnezzar's propaganda, he mentions often that he takes the side of the weak, the poor, the crippled, and the widowed against evil capitalists. <laughs> and that he is very much against bribery. Hmm. And... Uh, more fair laws and more enforcement of these laws. But, of course, he's still uh, influenced by the laws of Hammurabi. Uh-huh. It seems that, like, Nabopolassar and him, they really probably did come from more of a common common people, and they that's why they have these, you know, more administrative changes. So heavy-handed, top-down stuff. It, we, it's also noted that he doesn't lose much territory during his reign. He just gains territory. That's always a bonus. But, of course... In Anshan, there is another guy hmm. who will soon be more famous than Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Cyrus is 31 years old. Okay. In 569. Probably. Uh, Anshan is still ruled by the king of Anshan, who doesn't have much more territory to rule over. And he's, of course, Cambyses I, Cyrus's father, who is a vassal of the Medes, or kind of even a Mede, in a sense. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk more about that later. Okay. Uh, Cambyses, come down. Uh, we talked about him before. Uh, Cyrus is now married. Yay, Cyrus. To Cassandane, who is an Achaemenian. Okay. And uh, he now has uh, children. And their birth dates are, of course, unclear, but I'll give you five children of Cyrus at this time. Some of them might not have been born yet. Okay. It's, of course, Cambyses, the elder one. Uh, Bardaya. Is that the way you would pronounce it? I would say Bardaya. Uh, also son, and then three daughters, Atossa, Artistone, and Roxanne. Roxanne. And this marriage of Cyrus's seems to be extremely happy they love each other a lot it's all uh, flowers and uh, dancing i heard about this guy he's he's such a nice he's such a big teddy bear that cyrus <laughs> yeah but uh, in 559 cambyses the king of anshan will die and leave his throne to cyrus okay so in the 550s this will become the cyrus podcast but that is then and we are still in the 560s. Okay. Remember who is king of the Medes? Is it still Astyages? Yes. Ah, good old Astyages. The crazy serves your his enemies his, uh, or his friends, his, their, own kid, their own son for dinner. <laughs> and of course, uh, the Medes never write anything down. Mm-mm. And we discussed last time how the Median Empire can sort of be a construct of historians. Yeah, yes, you did. But uh, we have no written records, so we only have other people writing about the Medes. Probably a loose confederation, I would think. A little bit stronger than it used to be. There seems to be six major tribes, Mm -hmm. and it's a loose confederation of those tribes. Yeah. And the Persian seems very much to be one of the tribes of the Medes, in a sense. I agree. And we will see in the 550s, how the Medes and the Persians kind of merge. Yeah. If they weren't one of the same, one and the same before, they now become one and the same. But that's for yeah. the 550s as well. 
Okay. Yeah, Herodotus always caused the per- the Medes, like even the you know the Persian invasion of Greece, the Medes. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he always caused the Medes. Uh, back to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Uh, you know he had the Jews as the, his uh, guests, yeah. kind of. Yeah. But he has another guest who came to him uh, voluntarily. Okay. And that's Apries. Oh. The Pharaoh of Egypt. When we left him last time, he had been overthrown by his own general, Amasis II. All right. So Apries fled Egypt, according to one of the two stories I gave you last time. But now we're sticking to that story. Okay. So Apries fled Egypt and sought refuge in Babylon. <laughs> and in 567, he returns with the Babylonian army to reclaim the throne of Egypt. Shit, that's, I didn't know that. And this is, of course, a bit contested. But it is possible that Nebuchadnezzar campaigned against Egypt in 568. Because we have inscription BM33041. Hmm, that's a good one. <laughs> it's hard to read that inscription. But it has a few interesting words. Egypt and Amasis. Hmm. The name of the rebel pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Amasis has a stele which describe how his country was attacked from the sea and from the land by Babylonians. Oh, wow. But that's all we have. That's amazing. That had to be a big event at the time. Yes. And it seems if it happened, it was an utter failure. Oh, yeah. Because Apries probably dies... There is another inscription in Egypt which says that native Egyptians fought against foreign soldiery and in that fight Apries was killed and honorable buried in the third year of Amasis. And this is why I put it in 567. Hmm. And Amasis then married a woman whose name is quite hard to pronounce, but I will give it a try. Do this it. is Kedbnetirbinet. The second. <laughs> so they named two girls. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this name. <laughs> and she's a daughter of Apries. So Amasis not only kills Apries, but he also marries his daughter yeah. because the pharaohship is inherited by women. Wow, that's some Game of Thrones stuff, huh? Yes. And Amasis the second, now his rule over Egypt is secure. He apparently beat Nebuchadnezzar II at the height of his power, or at least some Babylonians. Yeah, right, something. They probably didn't send the whole army out, and that's a big, that's a big undertaking. And you say naval, so that's quite interesting. Yeah, it sort of goes together with the rumor that Nebuchadnezzar built a harbor in the Red Sea. Yeah, and probably the Greeks that beat them. Yeah, probably. But Amasis II, he will be with us forever. He will okay. rule for 44 years. Is this a new dynasty? No, he claims to be the same dynasty. And of course, he married the daughters. So he's kind of the same dynasty. I see. Okay, gotcha. And we know that the pharaoh has turned to Greeks a lot lately. Mm-hmm. But Amasis is even more of a Greekophile than any earlier pharaoh. Okay. And he's, of course, very popular in Herodotus. So Greeks are brought in. Greeks are doing everything in the north. Greeks are everywhere. And this gives Egypt a big economic boom. So we can see that the temples are 
worked on. There seems to be a lot of money in Egypt mm. during Amasis's the second's reign. Okay. And in a sense, this could be the last real pharaoh in Egypt. Oh, I was thinking that. I was thinking we're getting close to that. Yeah, but we'll talk more about that later. So that's enough Egypt for now. Okay. And we're going back to Babylon. That's great. I really like, this is really good. We're really getting a lot of information here. Cool. Last time I talked about Nebuchadnezzar's family. And he had two older sons and four younger sons. And the oldest of the younger sons was Amel Marduk, who has an amazing other name. What? Which, it's just, it, it isn't in English. Oh. But it is Evil Merodak. Ah. <laughs> Probably Evil Merodak. Yeah. Remember Merodak Baladan? Of course. So Amel Marduk is like the evil version of him. That's amazing. That's why they make name, these names in like Ghosts and Ghostbusters and stuff. These evil Marduk. Or evil, what was his name again? Evil Marduk. <laughs> yeah. So... Nebuchadnezzar is still the, the king, but in a document from 566, Amel Marduk is suddenly the crown prince. Oh. And this is strange, because we had two older sons of Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. We have Marduk Nadin Ahi, who is alive in 563. Mm. We also have Eana Shara Ushur, and he's just gone from the record. I found nothing on him. All right. Disappeared. But one older brother is alive and well in 563. And sadly, we have no idea how this happened. Why is Amel Marduk the crown prince in 566? Maybe Nebuchadnezzar was getting old and they, there was intrigue. And there will be more intrigue soon. Mm-hmm. But first I have to mention an event in 563, hmm. which is highly contested. It could have happened in 950. Really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I will spend two episodes talking about this guy. Okay. And this is now the most famous person we've talked about because he's a lot more famous than Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. And if you had a vote among historians, this, the year of 563, would probably win as his birth year. Okay. But there are many other theories, and I will talk at length about that in another episode in this decade. Okay. For in 563, a guy is born in a mountain tribe in Nepal. Mm. And his name is Siddhartha Gautama. That name sounds familiar. Do you recognize that name? Yeah. He is better known under another name. The Buddha. Ah, the Buddha. Yes. And he also has a longer list of titles than anybody else. But I will do two episodes on Siddhartha Gautama. Amazing. Very shortly. I'm going to be look, looking forward to those myself. <laughs> in 563, we also have this mention that Marduk Nadin Ahi is alive. He's on a document. But his younger brother is the crown prince. And then, in 562, Nebuchadnezzar finally dies. Oh, wow, wow, And that would make him... 81 years old. Oh, yeah. He was probably, they were probably doing all these intrigues, sort of like the, you know, the crown prince does in um, Saudi Arabia. You know, the king's real old, and then they just sort of start their intrigues then. And this is extremely well dated, because on these Babylonian documents, 
on these clay tablets from Babylon, they often mark them with the exact date. That's helpful. Yeah. So we have one clay tablet, a contract, dated in Nebuchadnezzar's 43rd year, written at Uruk. And the date says that this was written on the 8th of October, 562. Hmm. And on the same day, there is another contract dated by Amel Marduk's first year wow. on the 8th of October, 562. Two different scribes, I'm sure. So it seems Nebuchadnezzar died this very day. Amazing. We don't know about the invasion of Egypt, but we could find the day he died exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we do have other contracts dated in August and September that claims that Amel Marduk is the king. Mm. And it seems that Amel Marduk has a short period of co-regency with his father. Okay. So Nebuchadnezzar is maybe out of action here. Yeah. But he's senile or he's incapable, he's sick. And he leaves power to Amel Marduk during this, his last days. Yeah, I mean, 81 for those days is old, it's old any time, kind of. But, you know, he was probably really old. There's also some other documents that make this even more confusing. It seems that Amel Marduk is credited as being the king in 570 in a city. What? So he might have been the stand-in king even earlier. Yeah, or maybe he was up to something, you know? Like he had some scribes in his pocket that he was having them do stuff like that. I wonder. Uh, Then we also have a document, a fragmentary historical epic, that says that one Babylonian king, either Nebuchadnezzar or Amel Marduk, gave arbitrary orders and refused to listen to the words of a counselor. Hmm. And this king's attention was not devoted towards promoting the welfare of Saglian Babylon. He also showed no love to son and daughter, and in the end undertook an act of penance before Marduk. And it's probably Amel Marduk. Okay. And his reign will be troubled. Sounds like it could not a good start. He has, he has outsmarted his brothers in some sense. Mm-hmm. But he still has sisters. Oh. <laughs> there is another story saying that the relationship between Nebuchadnezzar and Amel Marduk was particularly poor. Hmm. The text describes Nebuchadnezzar and Amel Marduk in some form of conspiracy. Yeah. And one of them is accused, but we can't tell which one, of failing the most important duties of Babylonian kingship. But my guess is that this is Amel Marduk. It also seems that Amel Marduk was imprisoned at some time by Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. And this might have been because uh, Babylonian noblemen proclaimed him as the king before Nebuchadnezzar wanted him to become the king. Hmm. There is also a theory that Nebuchadnezzar's and Amel Marduk's relationship was bad and he intended to replace him at the crown prince, but we couldn't get it done in time. Yeah. There is also a very late inscription on Nebuchadnezzar where he says that he was chosen for the kingship by the gods before he was even born. Oh, that's convenient. And this is a, a classical Mesopotamian way of saying that I am the legitimate king. Right. But why would Nebuchadnezzar say this when he has already been the king for 40 years? Right. Yeah, odd. 
So maybe this was made to counter Amel Marduk or to help him. But in the end, Amel Marduk becomes the king. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So now we have to look back at Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And a lot of people have done this. Yeah. Because this guy is so important. Right. And the assessment by historians over Nebuchadnezzar has differed considerably over time. Hmm. Most of them regard him as the greatest king of the New Babylonian Empire, but that's <laughs> not a very hard race. There's two good ones and the rest of them are bad, and they're not too many. <laughs> Either him or his dad, right. Nabopolassar. Historians note the difference then in the Babylonian inscriptions compared to the Assyrians, that there's, there is military action, but they talk less about it. Yeah. We have about 50 inscriptions from Nebuchadnezzar. Only one of them talks about military action. Hmm. And the rest talks about other things. Yeah. Uh, Wolfram von Soden, a famous Assyriologist. That was a hard word. Assyriologist. Yep, Assyriologist. Initially assumed that Nebuchadnezzar was a builder king. But then we found a lot of tablets by other Babylonian writers that mentioned all the military things. Yeah, and plus we lost so much too, so yeah. So we know he was a great warrior. I mean, we know he destroyed Jerusalem, so that's a fact. Historian Joseph Eli wrote in 2018 that Nebuchadnezzar is difficult to characterize on account of the scarcity of Babylonian source material. She also says, quote, He was a conqueror. Even though reservations can be had about his military capabilities, there was no lack of statesmanlike qualities given his success in building the Babylonian Empire. He was a great builder who restored a country that for a long time had been devastated by war. Yeah, that's for sure. That is roughly all we know about him, because the Babylonian chronicles and other texts say little about his personality. Yeah. End quote. If you go by the Bible, he's evil, dumb, and cruel. But that's because they didn't like him. Oh, yes. And now we have evil himself. Yeah. Evil Merdak, Amel Marduk. And this is a list of his titles. You heard Nebuchadnezzar titles. This is a list from a pillar on one of Babylon's bridges. Okay. Of Amel Marduk's titles. Amel Marduk, king of Babylon, the one who renovates Esagil and Esida, son of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. End. That's all of it. Ah. And this is, of course, a bad sign, because Amel Marduk won't be along, won't be there for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. We noticed that uh, there is some work still going on in Babylon, but uh, it's all centered on uh, the cults. Okay. And uh, we have no military operations for his entire reign. Amal Marduk seems to focus on uh, internal affairs. Yeah. He celebrates the New Year festival in Babylon. And when he does, this might have been a time when something big happened in Babylon. Okay. Because we can read in 2 Kings 25, 27, 30, that Jeconiah, the king. The king from Judah. Yes, was yeah. released from prison in the year that Amel Marduk came to the throne. Hmm. And he was given a prestigious position at Amel Marduk's court. Oh, okay. This is uh, what ends the Book of Kings and the Deuteronomistic history in the Bible. Oh, really? That's very interesting. And this is, of course, pretty common in uh, Babylon to do something merciful and do something PR-like at the time of the Marduk festival. Uh-huh. So instead of the Romans parading their enemies, this guy brings out his enemy and frees him and gives him a job. Yeah, but I, wonder, I mean, you can know, never know, but you wonder if like, while he was there... That he was out, that they were like buddies or something somehow, you know, like maybe Emil Marduk went to visit him and yeah, that that could have been. We don't know. Kind of plotted together, and he took him out as an advisor. But that's where we're going to end today, and next time we're going to close out the five sixties for the Middle East. Okay, because there is one important guy we only mention in this episode. Okay, and that's Croesus. Oh yeah, Croesus, king of Lydia, richest Croesus. <laughs> yes. So rich. That's his big characteristic. He just has a lot of money. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> but of course, uh, they invented coinage. They yeah. have platinum like uh, flowing down the river. So Yeah, exactly. So much wealth in Lydia. Literally printing their own money right out of the ground. Yeah. Maybe somebody is interested in taking it, but we shall hmm. see. Probably. All right, so we're going to come back the next time and do some more on this era area of the world and talk about Croesus. And we definitely have more on Babylon as well. Okay, amazing. Yeah, we're getting a lot more information. And nothing more on Cyrus. I've also noted that we will not go to Rome in a long time. Oh. Because I have zero information for Rome in the 550s. Okay. So we'll probably not have a Roman episode in the next decade. Okay. That's okay. But the the Romans will be back, I promise you. Oh, yeah, we're, we're marching towards their republic. Yes. And there's so much going on. Like, we're really yeah. coming to a head here. And then Cyrus will just wreck it all. Yeah. Or make it better, depending on your point of view. I know, it's crazy when you think about it, right? All these years of doing the podcast, all these centuries, the Assyrians, all this stuff, and now there's this all this big change is happening so quickly. Uh, the, the 6th century BC is a very interesting time. For sure. And that will show even more clearly in Siddhartha Gautama episode. Okay. Let's get on with it then. Let's get on with it. Make sure you guys check out our Facebook page and our Patreon. Send us a couple of dollars. We appreciate it. We appreciate all the Patreons that we do have. And uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. I am Dan Horning with uh, dots above the O. So a Swedish umlaut O. Does your keyboard have all those, or do you have to hit shifts and stuff? No, we have those on the keyboard. Oh, nice. Okay. There are only three weird letters in Swedish, so that's not too much work. Okay. We have an A with a dot over it, an A with two dots over it, and an O with two dots over it. Interesting.
You don't have those letters with the lines through them. That's like Nor- Norwegian, maybe? Oh, the, the, those are the letters of the barbarians. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, talk to you next time. Okay, talk to you next time, Dan. I'm looking forward to Croesus. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.